193 entitled Cross Dressing and the introductory music was Don't You Forget About Me by Simple Minds which brings to mind an episode of uh, severe stress in my own life about which I wish to speak the um, uh, actual uh, theme of this uh, or subject of this cast is ecclesiastical vesture and what is the right way to dress in and out of church but it begins by a reference to the fact that when the Episcopal Church hit um, absolutely um, major and decisive uh, what is often called cultural warfare in the summer of 2003, a massive uh, exodus of uh, clergy uh, took place in the Episcopal Church. I knew it at the time. At the very moment I heard it, I was sitting in a restaurant called Cafe Fanfan 
in Birmingham, when uh, Alabama, when uh, a parishioner who was there said the general convention has done such and such, and I just knew instantaneously that that was the end. That is to say, it was the end of something that had been. It would certainly be the end of a chapter in my life and the end of a chapter in many, 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 many people whom I know well. And so the song that immediately came to mind as I reflected on what had happened, and I'm not going to go into the details because that's the substance of it is not the point of the cast. The uh, subject of it is actually the church as an institution that is absolutely unable to do what the United States Navy did for Admiral William F. Halsey at the beginning and the end of the remarkable movie I recommend to you from 1960 or 59, entitled The Gallant Hours. The church, because of the ideological uh, antietam Uh, Battle of the Wilderness, Spotsylvania Courthouse uh, conflict that occurred at that point showed itself to be utterly and absolutely unable to reckon with and to give thanks for authentic bona fide service. The reason the Simple Minds song, Don't You Forget About Me, from the movie The Breakfast Club occurred immediately was that by virtue of what the church had done, it had simply voted uh, to forget about um, and to treat as if they didn't exist uh, roughly 25% of the clergy and probably about maybe 18% of the clergy and perhaps uh, 25 to 28% of the laity. They simply voted to treat those people as if they didn't exist. And that was the hurt of it. The hurt was not the specific issue, which is always subject to negotiation. All ideological questions have within themselves the rights and the wrongs of uh, abstract truth, which are often surprisingly and evenly uh, carried by different sides of the same question. The real issue was that we felt as if we didn't count. We didn't exist. There was a sense of absolute non-existence. And what happened as the roughly 650 to 800 clergy friends of mine, a great many of whom I knew or was acquainted with personally, exited the church through a variety of pressures. Some of them were just impossible people, and a number of them would have exited the church in any event or exited any institution, a car wash where they were part of the Friday morning team. They would have exited it. But the large majority were people of sincere conscience who felt they had been absolutely and completely given no real uh, active um, voice whatsoever, and that their opinions, which were very strongly held, had been um, completely thrown out the window. The same had been true of the question of the ordination of women a few years earlier, when a large number of clergy, especially in the Anglo-Catholic party, felt that their views were seen as uh, something to be gotten rid of, rather than something to be accommodated. And those clergy almost all left the Episcopal Church. People don't want to hear that. They don't want to believe it. But I know that it's true, because I know the people. I was actually a frequent speaker on uh, at Anglo-Catholic fellowships in various dioceses, and I watched uh, almost all my acquaintances and friends uh, end up outside of the church because they didn't feel that they had a place and they weren't tolerated. Well, the same was of the 650 to 800 clergy who exited for in various points of time on the scale of time timeline uh, in um, after 2003 the summer and um, so don't you forget about me was simply my saying saying why have you forgotten about me I mean do, do we not exist I mean we're, we're a, a large and significant minority of uh, clergy let us say the clergy who've worked really hard many of us uh, have done exactly what uh, priests and ministers of all stripes and ideologies do we'd worked hard to build our parishes and sought to visit the sick and uh, sit through impossible vestry meetings and live through uh, uh, um, uh, resistance that had nothing to do with ideology or theology, but had
had to do with transference and countertransference, and many of us had done the best we could, and in some cases had seen churches come around. In fact, many, many, many of these clergy were the clergy of parishes that had grown or that had come out of terrible times and were actually showing Lebensstation, um, signs of life. And did these people not exist? Well, the answer was no. And so I was um, in practice, and that's still the case. So when I saw the gallant hours with the way that the United States Navy um, honored the fleet admiral as he retired and came to the retirement age and left the USS Enterprise and uh, or whatever the ship of command on which he was uh, and he retired, I thought to myself, my gosh, they know how to honor service. And then I think of friends of mine who were distinguished servants of the church for 30, 40, 25, 18 years, but often for very long periods and had suffered and done so well. And it was as if they didn't exist. And no wonder they ended up leaving in complete sense of resentment, bitterness, anger, and sorrow. Uh, it's a wonder that I'm not in that place, and I'm actually not at this point, and I am still a, an Episcopal priest or minister, as I prefer to say. Ah, the word priest, people don't have any idea. They don't have any idea that prior to 1970, the word priest was never used of an Episcopal minister, except for the one Anglo-Catholic priest that would be rector of the one Anglo-Catholic parish in most middle-sized to larger cities. And those uh, clergy were called father such and such with great alacrity and enthusiasm and honor, including myself. But um, the vast majority of clergy were uniformly referred to as Mr. Zoll or Mr. Smith or whatever it was, and in England uh, to this day. Now, um, and that Americans just don't want to hear it. They just don't know it. Don't tell me anything. And um, But the fact is that the church showed no ability to honor um, so many of its faithful saints. There are many other faithful saints who had a different ideology and theology. But the fact that the church proved unable in any kind of meaningfully understood way or received way to honor the service of many, 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 many uh, hundreds, in fact, of well-meaning and conscientious, uh, hardworking clergy of all ranges and gifts and demographies and personalities and skin colors and ethnicities and whatever you want to say, that was a disaster. And the movie The Gallant Hours reveals that the United States Navy knows or at least knew how to do it. And it's a very powerful theme. You see it in John Ford films. Also, when service uh, is well um, remembered and recollected, or in James Gould Cousins' Guard of Honor, where it's the key moment of the entire um, novel. Now, that leads me to the question of ecclesiastical vesture. And this is why I've called this podcast Cross-Dressing, because how do you dress in a manner as a clergyman or priest or minister in the Anglican world of the Episcopal Church that it correlates with uh, the nature of the one in whose bloody footsteps you are uh, attempting and aspiring to walk. And um, at the end of The Gallant Hours, again, there is a brilliant instance of the right instincts about this that is so at cross-purposes and antithetical and dialectically uh, uh, extraordinarily odd and paradoxical and really downright revealing in relationship to how we have seen Vesture that I have to tell you what happens. And it's not a spoiler because it's, I mean, good Lord, it happened in 1945, for crying out loud. And it's a de rigueur policy in the U.S. Navy even to this day. The fleet admiral aboard his uh, flagship um, was required to, after he read his letter of uh, retirement signed by the Secretary of Defense or whatever it was, Secretary of the Navy, he was required to, during the ceremony, almost like people used to do in weddings when they went to the vestry of the church to secrecy to sign the, um, the 
marriage uh, license and register before leaving the church, he was required to go to his uh, admiral's cabin, uh, take off uh, the um, uniform and naval uniform and insignia of the fleet admiral, and put on a civilian suit and tie and uh, leave the ship as a civilian, Cincinnatus. And that is so powerful. And in the Gallon Hours, he does so, and no one recognizes him, you might say, as he, who's the most distinguished of all of the uh, military leaders there, uh, leaves the ship uh, with all his uh, former colleagues uh, dressed to the absolute nines, and he is rowed in a boat with all his sub-lieutenants who are fully dressed in their dress uniforms um, of, of uh, naval, navy blue and uh, with still in style, and they uh, row him uh, to sea on the tender, or whatever it's called now. They row him to, to shore, and that is so amazing, because here he is now dressed down as a civilian. What does that say? See the movie. What does it say to you? It says that his office was an office uh, not of ontology or eternal um, indicting, I-N-D-I-T in this sense, not I-N-D-I-C-T, but I-N-D-I-T-I-N-G, indicting. It was not an office, his admiralty, uh, on his uh, person, but he's actually William F. Halsey, period. Um, but uh, the honor was to his office, and the office and the man were entirely separate. We, um, that, that is so completely contrary to current understanding of priesthood in the Episcopal Church. It's unbelievable. I mean, I see all the time when I go to churches, I see retired clergy when they, um, and retired bishops who attend services in their clericals. I mean, a retired bishop will wear his purple shirt and a suit that he would wear when he was the bishop of whatever it is. But he's been retired for 12 years and is sitting in the congregation with his wife and maybe grown children and grandchildren. That's wonderful, but not the that. what are we to make of that? That is the exact polar opposite of what happens to the James Cagney character who won the Pacific War in 1942 at Guadalcanal, etc. That is the complete polar opposite. Why is that? Because ministry is function. It is not ontology. Um, you may say, well, that's a Protestant view, Paul. Well, it happens to be a view of powerful truth because my priesthood is not me. When I stop being uh, serving in my uh, cure of souls as rector, vicar, assistant rector, whatever it may happen to be, dean, when I leave that position, I'm Paul Zoll again. Now, I'm the Reverend Paul Zoll as a mark of honor, and uh, certainly there are certain uh, little words that go after my name or before it that I don't mind. Uh, but um, in actual fact, would I go to a church service dressed in clericals? Absolutely not under any circumstances. Someone said the other day to me, Paul, why do you show up at church not wearing your clerical collar? And this lovely guy hasn't just hasn't been taught properly. He doesn't know what he's saying. Um, you know, there used to be a tradition just like in the Navy that when you left the parish as a rector and retired, you had to move away. You could not, you were required by understanding and tradition not to live continue to live in the same town where the parish was for all sorts of obvious reasons. But today that's universally traversed, uh, transgressed, where clergy retire in this town where they were the rector for 12 years or 15 years or 20 for that matter, and they show up every Sunday in their mark of office. And it's appalling. It's outrageous behavior uh, in relationship to the uh, to the successor. And yet somehow they just say, well, gosh, Donald, I'm going to do it. But no bishop is calling them and saying, you know, uh, Joe, we love you so much. You did such great work there, but it's really not right for you to be sitting in the congregation wearing your clerical collar while your successor is attempting to beat off transference and counter-transference in own heart. You really need to go to a parish five miles away or better move to be with your children for at least four years before you come back. 
maybe come back at some point, but come back as a civilian, not as the rector of St. Luke's, whatever it is. Well, that's the truth. And so the power of this. So I just want to say to you, um, before I conclude with a Sly and the Family Stone song, which I think really will, um, at least the title conveys the truth of life. We were in a, um, a uh, in Tübingen at the Stift, the Evangelische Evangel- Stift, and my mother, who opposed the ordination of women for all sorts of arbitrary reasons at the time, many years ago, I do not, um, for her own reasons. Uh, she was going on and on uh, as we were having lunch with a uh, repetent, which it means tutor in the Stift, whose name was Christoph Hoffmann Richter. And Christoph, wonderful, uh, very well trained, brilliant theological uh, Lutheran, uh, but evangelisch, far and very well trained theologian. Um, my mother was popping off about something she honestly didn't know very much about but had strong opinions concerning. And he said, well, you know, he said, this is not a problem with us. And she said, what? What do you mean? And he said, well, he said, our doctrine of the ministry is different, obviously. I, mean, I don't want to make him sound like Count Dracula. <laughs> our problem with this is that, look, listen to them, the children of the night, what priests they make. No, what he said was, our problem is not has nothing to do, we don't have a problem with women's ordination because our doctrine of the ministry is different. He went on to say, we believe that ministry is function. It's a spiritual gift given by virtue of ordination at the time for a person to do a particular job, but it's not indelible. It doesn't stay with him or her for life. And therefore, there's nothing ontological about the laying on of hands. Therefore, uh, you can ordain, um, it's not part of your gender, it's not part of your essential humanity or bodily humanity or corporeality that you are male or female. It is a temporary gift that is given by the Spirit of God and mediated to some extent through the church as a function, but it's not a, it's not being, it's function. Well, I don't know what you think about that, my dear Father Stillwell, uh, or um, Mr. Zoll. I don't know what you think about that, Mr. Rogers, uh, but um, I want you to think about it. I really do want you to think about it. See Walt Disney movies, see old Hollywood movies where they're all we called Mr. But the point of view of Vesture, what a thing to realize that it's a function and it's not something that's indelible or indicted, I-T-E-D, on your heart, but it's entirely a matter of what function you've been given at the time. And that completely frees you to be a you know a regular guy. So everyday people, and uh, when you are tempted to uh, overdo it and wear uh, too many vestments or get a, have a real big deal about a chasm, which is baloney, uh, unless you're an Anglo-Catholic, really an Anglo-Catholic, a real Anglo-Catholic, then uh, then think of the gallon hours and bull halsey uh, when you're tempted to wear a clerical collar in a situation that um, that you just somehow feel you ought to. Think about Bill Halsey. Uh, I looked at picture. I, I can't find a picture in our family album of uh, Paul and Mary's all with me with my clerical collar, except one that might have been taken on a Sunday social hour or in connection with a Saturday wedding. I can't find one when I was in the ministry. Every single picture, including when I'm doing pastoral work, pictures that were taken in my office or on vestry retreats or in connection with, uh, with in my study at Grace Church or at um, St. Mary Scarborough, wherever it was, I never wear a clerical collar, except when the particular occasion, it, it befitted. Of course, you'd dress properly then and you'd look really right and good and hopefully a good Brooks Brothers clergyman, but please wear a coat and tie, or at least a Lacoste, but just do it because think gallant hours. All all the rest is vanity, vanity. And after you retire from the ministry, be very grateful that you've been given that gift. And now go and read Dombey and Son. Thank you very much. 